What's going on, everyone? My name is Brian Williams, and I am the pastor of Restoration Church in Traverse City, Michigan. Thanks so much for allowing us into your digital life and tuning in to this message. If you'd like to get involved with anything we have going on, you can do so at restorationtc.com. While you're there, you can find out about events, get to know a little bit more about what we believe, and you can also give a donation. Now, we're set up a little different than most in that we have a community account where 100% of your donation goes directly back into the community, both locally and globally. We've partnered with organizations like Freedom Builders here in Traverse City, World Orphans, and Charity Water. We also have an overhead account that helps fund the mission and vision of the church. Our vision is people following Jesus, and our mission is transparency, community, and change. Thanks again for checking out the message. Now let's get to it. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out, of a, uh, out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. <clears throat> By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But, as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. 
He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 22. That's what we started with. That's what we just went through just now. Hebrews 11, 1 through 22. I wanted to start there because I wanted to look at the faith of each of these people. We're in the very last sermon of, uh, in the very last chapter of Genesis, chapter 50. It all comes down to this. This is for all the marbles. This is for the whole enchilada. Thank you, John Candy, for uh, giving us that wonderful quote. This This is the last chapter of this series. We've been here for a year now, and it's finally time to say goodbye to the book of Genesis. For us, anyway, in a sermon, there's always in the Bible, people are like, what, did it leave the Bible? No, it's going to stay there, but we're not going to be studying it as a church together on Sunday mornings from this point forward. This is the last week. So if you're just joining us, we welcome to Restoration Church, our online community here. Uh, Thank you for being a part of this. If you want to catch any of the sermons that we've done in the past on Genesis or anything like that, you can go to our YouTube channel. You can go to our Facebook page. You can go to our website, restorationtc.com. And you can, uh, you can binge watch all of the sermons if you'd like to, or just read chapters 1 through 49 if you want to get caught up. Uh, either way, I wanted to start with Hebrews because it was kind of like a, an, an, an overview of what we've been doing for the last year. I, I mean, it seems like it was forever ago that we went through uh, what Noah went through, that we talked about Abraham, that we talked about Cain and Abel, that we talked about Enoch, that we talked about creation. We started with creation, and now we're ending in Genesis is chapter 50. And there's a common theme around all of these, these greats that we've, we've connected. You talk about Abraham. We talk about uh, Abel. We talk about Enoch. These guys listed, Jacob, uh, Isaac, um, Joseph. There, there's a common theme, and it's all highlighted through Hebrews chapter 11. And it starts with by faith. And I think if we learn anything from, from chapters 1 through 50, it, it's that it's, it's by faith. And so when we go through this, this last chapter, chapter 50, let's remember that phrase, by faith. Now, we're going to get right into Genesis chapter 50 now. I don't know how you can say right into Genesis 50 when we're already six minutes in, but we're in Genesis 50, and we're going to start in verse 1. And then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. Remember, he had just passed away. Israel just passed away. He, he, he brought his feet up to him, uh, crawled into bed, brought his feet up, curled up, and, and passed away. And this happens just moments after. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him. 70 days. And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die in my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan. There shall you bury me. 
Now therefore, let me please go up and bury my father, then I will return. <clears throat> and Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father with him, or with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of the household, and all the elders of, e of the land of Egypt, as well as the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. So they all headed up there to mourn the passing of this patriarch, Israel. It says that they mourn for him for 70 days. This is not something that's just a you know quick four days, somebody passes away, and then four days later we have a celebration of life, we have the funeral, and then it's on with the rest of our lives. This was, this was a very drawn-out process, and it was further drawn out, uh, even more so than what Israel did in this time. Typically, Israel was no more than 30 days. If in, in, in this nation, you would mourn for about maybe 30 days, do all that kind of stuff, and then you get on, um, sounds, sounds cold, but then you get on with your life. This happened that it was 70 days long. If a pharaoh passed away, if a pharaoh died, they would mourn for 72 days. This is just two days short of what they would do for a pharaoh. So this somehow, because of the impact of Joseph in the land of Egypt, they are mourning the loss of Joseph's father along with Joseph. That, that's quite an impact on the land around them. Uh, to, 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 to have this patriarch Israel pass away and have the entire community. It says that uh, it, it wasn't just Joseph's family that went, but it was uh, it, it was it was the servants of Pharaoh. It was the elders of his household and all the elders of the land of Egypt. This is quite a procession of people going to mourn the loss of someone who. Egyptians didn't even really want to be around, but they're mourning the loss of, and I just think, man, I hope, and I've talked about this before, I hope the impact of us and the communities that we're in is, is, is on, on the level of this, where people notice when you leave, people notice when you, if, if you pass away, like there's, there's a hole there, there's, there's something missing. Are we making impacts in the world around us where it's like, boy, if that person left, I, I, don't, I don't know what I would do. Outside of immediate family, are we, are we making an impact? In our communities, like look at that, I just, that's so inspiring to me to, to think that, wow, an entire, not even a part of, of, of their community, not even a part of their family, not even like the, the religions are different, but people from all walks of life coming to mourn this man because of Joseph. I, just, I, I hope for us as a community, we can say, man, I, I, I want to have that impact in people around me. I want people in Traverse City to, to like, if, if I were to leave, I, I hope, this is what I hope people understand, is if, if I'm to leave Traverse City, I hope that there's an impact, there's a void there, because, boy, that person was really making a dent in the community. Their presence was really felt in the community. And too many times I think people leave a community and nobody knows because they didn't do anything for the community. I think we, we need to be people who are, are focusing on the community and, and, and branching out and saying, like, what are we doing? Like, how are we impacting those around us? And the way that we do that is, is what we learned in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith. By faith. This person did this. By faith, Noah built the boat. By faith, uh, Jacob blessed. By faith, Abraham left his native land. By faith, 
Abel gave an offering. It's by faith. I don't think we live by faith. I think we live by whatever it is that drives us. Okay. Verse 9. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. I wanted to highlight this verse. I pause here because, I, I, and we're not going to pause a lot, but this verse I want to pause because if you know anything about Israel, if you know anything about what happens in the next book a few hundred years down the line, you know that uh, chariots and horsemen are involved again, but in a very different way. Things change. Just because you're good with something right now doesn't mean it's going to stay that way. We have to continue to work uh, in our community, to continue to be uh, a light in our community. We can't rest on something from the past and hope that in the future everything's going to stay the same because of what we've done in the past. We have to continue to invest in people. Now this is good. You know, verse 9, it says, they went with them, chariots and horsemen, a very great company, went with Joseph and the people of Israel, Israel's children, to go and bury Israel. So that's good. That's wonderful. But what happens in the middle of the book of Exodus is Moses and his, his the, the Israelites leave Egypt, and now there's horsemen and chariots that are chasing after them because of how much they're hated. Wow, what a difference, right? Don't rest on things being okay right now. Keep pushing forward. Don't get complacent. Brian, don't get complacent with just one verse. Keep reading. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. <laughs> and he made a mourning for his father seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, There is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians, or this is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore, the place was named Abel Mizraim. Maybe. I think I said that. I don't know. It is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah to the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, <laughs> they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to them. Here we have the brothers. It's, it's 50. Now, last week we had uh, Israel giving the blessing, the prophetic word to all of the siblings. Here's what your tribe is going to be like. Here's what is going to be happening. Now here in chapter 50, we have the brothers. I don't know if there is any credence to this, what they said. I don't know if if Israel actually said this to, to the brothers saying, hey, make sure 
that uh, you tell Joseph to keep forgiving you guys. I think they were just kind of creating something to be like, hey, uh, remember dad said just because dad's gone doesn't mean you have to hate us now. It seems like sometimes the, the brothers have learned nothing. But here's the thing, they're still feeling the guilt. Sure, they're forgiven, they're moving on, but, but they're still feeling the guilt and they'll, they're still acting out of guilt of what they did to Joseph. I mean, it, to me, it's clear as day that they're, they're acting to this, uh, in this way because of how they treated Joseph before. Because of what they had done to Joseph, they are now still, after all, I mean, it's been 17, 20, probably, probably close to 20 years now. Since, well, 20 years since they've been forgiven. Even longer, it's been about 40 years since they sold their, their brother into slavery and decided that they wanted to kill him. And they're still holding on to this. I, I think the brothers do truly believe that they're forgiven. I, I think the brothers know that they live in forgiveness, but I think it still haunts their consciences. only because I think that's true of us. It it does make us humble. (laughs) I I don't know about you, but I don't forget about things that I've done wrong in the past. I don't, I don't, I I know that I'm forgiven. I know that uh, God doesn't hold it against me. I know he doesn't forget. His forgiveness doesn't make him forget. It would be nice if he would just forget and it was blotted out like, oh, I, I don't even know you, you've you ever sinned before. This must be your first time. He treats everyone like it's the first time, but he knows it's not. So for us, I, I, I know that I'm forgiven, but there's things in my past where I keep going back to those things and I keep being like, man, I can't, I can't believe I did that. And it keeps me humble. It... It really does. It keeps me humble to be like, well, I know who Brian is. I know what Brian has done in the past. I, I'm just going to keep quiet. I, I wonder, now this is just Brian's theology, Brian's thoughts, not even Brian's theology. These are just Brian thoughts. These are not Bible thoughts. But I think I, I think to the Apostle Paul, uh, who was a guy who um, probably had a lot of uh, baggage that came along. You, you know about Paul because, uh, well, maybe you don't, but Paul was Saul first and he uh, tortured Christians. He was the, 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 the greatest of all the, the, the Jews. He says it, not me. He was, he, he had, like, he was, he was number one on like first chair uh, in, in the band. He was, he was the cat's pajamas when it came to, I don't know, when it came to, um, Jewish law and Jewish custom. He was the top of the class and he would persecute Christians. He would kill Christians. He would make sure that they got murdered uh, because he thought they were wrong until he had that moment on Damascus where God comes down, Jesus comes down and says, why are you persecuting me? And he changes his life around. Now, I don't think, again, this is, this is Brian thoughts. I don't think Paul, even though he changed his name to Paul, I don't think Paul ever forgot what he did to some of those Christians. I, I, I think, man, when he went to bed at night, I think they stayed with him, those thoughts. Knowing he's forgiven, living in the freedom of that forgiveness, but still thinking about it. And I think, hypothetically speaking, again, Brian thoughts, when he talks about the thorn in his side, 
a thorn in his flesh, not a thorn in his side, but the thorn in his flesh. I think it's in, in uh, don't quote me on this, but I think it's in Romans. I didn't look it up. But he talks about there being a persistent thorn in his flesh. And, and, and scholars, people much smarter than me, have debated over this. He doesn't say what that thorn is. Some people believe it's his eyesight. In fact, he writes in one of the letters to, the, um, to one of the churches, I forget which one it is, that he says, see how, how large my writing is. Like as to say, look, I have poor eyesight. I have to rely on someone else for this. This is saying that, uh, you know, I have to write big so that I can see what I'm writing. Others believe, hey, you know what? Maybe he was, maybe he was married before. Again, this is all hypothetical. You're not going to find it in scripture. People hype, uh, people try to figure out what the thorn in his flesh was. Some people think it was blindness. Some people think it was some order, other sort of um, uh, deformity, something that he had uh, wrong with him, you know, from maybe being on a shipwreck for so many times. Others think maybe he was married. And when he converted from Judaism, especially if he is the number one Jewish person, uh, typically Jewish people would get married at the age of 13, 14, somewhere around that age, you would get married. So perhaps, again, Brian thoughts, not, not Bible thoughts, perhaps he was married. And when he converted over to Christianity to follow Jesus, maybe his, his wife thought, well, he's, he's a whack job and left him. And that's a thorn in his side. Maybe, I mean, there's so many possibilities out there. All I'm saying is maybe one of them is this idea that this thorn in his side, this thorn in his flesh is, is this humility of what he had done to Christians before. And that guilt kind of keeps him up at night. And I think the brothers here are, are doing the exact same thing. They're, 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 they stay up at night. And I think you and I do the exact same thing. And I don't always think it's a bad thing. I think it keeps us humble. If you think you've done nothing wrong ever and it doesn't ever bother you, I, that, boy, that's a pretty prideful thing. There's knowing you're forgiven, sure. But at what cost? The cost of a savior, the cost of Jesus on a cross. That was the cost. And so, yeah, I remember but unlike the brothers, I don't want it to, to navigate my life. I don't want it to, to be the thing that uh, is, is giving me direction for my life. I want it to keep me humble, but I don't want it to prohibit me from doing things in the future. Let's see how Joseph responds. It says that he wept when they spoke to him. Probably because he's like, really? Really? You, you, the, you couldn't? You, you don't know my character? Joseph's asking, like, how, how, we've spent the last 20 years together. You, you don't, you, have I not shown my character to you? And so he weeps. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for I, am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. We're going to come back to that verse. Don't you worry. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt. He and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also the children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, who were counted as Joseph's own. 
And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. Here comes the very last verse in Genesis. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. So Joseph has a typical Joseph response to his brothers, and then all of a sudden it moves forward 60 years or so to, uh, to, to his death to his deathbed. And that last verse, so Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Genesis 1 started with creation. Genesis 50 ends with a coffin. Starts with creation. And ends with a coffin. I think it would be wise for us to remember that in life. It starts with creation, ends with a coffin. Always has, always will. I don't mean to get morbid on us here, but it, it's, it's, a, it's a, again, a humbling reminder that we don't have the luxury of eternity on earth. We've got a job to do. Like we said a couple of weeks ago, do what you can in the time that we have. Joseph did a lot in the time that he had to do what he could. And, and it's interesting that uh, he was put in a coffin in Egypt. He was actually uh, unburied. He didn't go into a crypt. He didn't go into, you know, like, in, he didn't go anywhere. Uh, the idea was it would be a reminder for Israel that they were going somewhere back again. They were going back to the promised land at some point. And it took them 400 years to get there, but they were going back to the promised land. And when Moses leads them out of Egypt and into the promised land through the wilderness, uh, he takes with him the bones of Jacob or uh, of Joseph. And then uh, in, at the end of Joshua, they finally bury the bones of Joseph in the promised land once they finally get there, back in the land of Canaan. They finally bury those bones. It was a reminder of what was to come, of a future uh, hope, an inheritance that awaited them. So as they were waiting for this future hope, as they were waiting for this inheritance, they could look and see the coffin. They could look and see that these were, this is where Joseph lies for now, but it's not forever. We're not going to put this in a tomb right now because we have to go somewhere else. And I think for us as Christians, we have to remember that we're going somewhere else. And we, we have this reminder of the cross. We have this reminder of Jesus that he came, lived a perfect life for us, died on a cross, rose again on the third day. We see an empty tomb now as our future hope, where they were looking at bones for a future hope of the promised land. We look at an empty tomb for the hope that we have, not in this life, but in the life to come. And so that's why we can go back to verses like verse 20, and where Joseph says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. I love those statements, those but God statements. 
the, 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 the statements where, where there's, there's some things that are bad that are happening, and then you get to another statement that says, but God, but God intervenes, but God meant it for good. And it reminds us of Romans 8, 28. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Man, when we look at the empty tomb, when we look at what Jesus has done, we can say with confidence that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Because at the end of all things, we're reunited with him. So whatever is happening on this life, whatever's happening on this earth, good, bad, indifferent, all things end at Jesus. And we know that all things work together for good. And we don't see the whole picture yet in this life. We, 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 we don't get the opportunity to see the entire picture in this life. We only get to see what's, what's right here, what's right in the present. And we can forecast out and we can see, we can see these different things, but we don't see the tapestry that God is, is creating. We are all a part of a, a mosaic, a mosaic, one of those pictures where uh, if you zoom in really, really, really far, you see individual pictures. But then when you zoom out, there's this beautiful picture of, of things all blended together. And it's usually like a face or something, but the, the mosaic, it, it creates this beautiful picture. Uh, uh, and, and when you zoom out, you can see the entire picture. We're so close. We see the details. We see what's happening in my life, but I don't know how that's impacting this person's life or, or that person's life. I don't know who watches this thing. I don't know who, who is uh, being, being a part of this, this, um, this church I've, I've got a very small frame of reference. I've got my, like, I, I know what's happening right in front of me. And, and if there's something that happens to me, there's been bad things that have happened in my life. And, and I don't know how that's impacted other people. I, I don't know what, what that person, my neighbor across the street, I don't know what that person on Facebook th- sees throughout my life and what I'm doing, but God it holds it all together and he says, this is all working according to my good. We see the, the up close and, and, and God sees the entire mosaic picture. Another way to say it is, is if you look at like, a, uh, like somebody who, who, who quilts and, and does those nice sayings that are like quilted onto fabric or whatever, and then like, this is something like grandmas used to do a lot, is they would uh, have, the, have the saying where like, uh, a home isn't a home without a gnome, or um, <laughs> never, <laughs> never said that, but you know what I'm saying, like, right? Like, like uh, some, some, something about a house and then a home, whatever. So it's all like, um, uh, w- quilted, crocheted, whatever, it's stitched in there. Uh, uh, and, and so on the front of it, it looks really good, but on the back of it, it just looks like a jumbled mess, right? So, so on this side of heaven, all we see is the jumbled mess. All we see is our life as a jumbled mess. But we know, so then we go to Romans eight twenty eight and say, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, Some of us are thinking, boy, I, <laughs> I don't see it. I don't, I don't see the, uh, I don't see the purpose. Uh, 
I, I've been going through a lot in my life and I don't see the purpose. And if we look back at the theme in Genesis here of by faith, we started with Hebrews chapter 11. Here's what I think is a common theme and what we need to take home. And if we could take anything from the entire book of Genesis, we're going through that escalated quickly to promises, to why this family, to here we are in detours and delays. I would say this, act out of response to him, not them. Act out of response to him, not them. We get so caught up in what's going on around us, don't we? We get, we get caught up in, in, uh, in, in, in how many people are now infected with COVID. We're getting caught up with politics, whether you like the president or you hate the president or you like the governor or you hate the governor. We get caught up in politics. We get caught up in culture. We get caught up in our neighbor's business. We get caught up in so many different things that we start acting out of a response to those things instead of his thing. We start acting out of a response to, to whatever like, uh, somebody did to me. We respond, we respond out of, out of uh, or we act out of response to, to, to that person. Oh, that person cut me off in traffic, so I'm now therefore going to swerve around them and cut them off in traffic. Like, or I'm going to give them the finger. Or worse, I'm just going to ram into them because that's what I want to do. We act out of a response to them not him. But if I'm acting out of a response to him, not them, then I can start to see this picture of Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for those who love him. Uh, all things work for good for those who love him, according to his purposes. I, if I'm responding to him, not them, I'm looking at the cross. I'm looking at the empty tomb. I'm not looking at the circumstance surrounding me. Does that make sense? Now, there's ways that we can do this. And with the very few minutes we have left, I just want to go through, there's a list. I've created a list. Are you surprised that I've created a list? You shouldn't be surprised that I've created a list about this. There's, there's a list I've, I've made uh, on what it means to act out of response to him, not them. In church, if we can learn anything in 2022, we got to stop acting out of a response to them. What they're doing, what they did, how they're acting, what their beliefs are. And we have to start acting out of response to what he's done, what he believes about me, what he sacrificed for me, what Jesus has done for me. And to do that, here's how we, here, here's how we do it. In response to him, we start with faith. That's an easy one. That's, that's, the, that's, the, that's just the layup. I start with faith. We started in Hebrews chapter 11, and it again goes over and over again about by faith, by faith. And if we don't have faith in Jesus, then yeah, the only option is to respond to them and not him. So the very first question to ask is, do I have faith? And am I acting according to that faith? Start with faith. You can have faith this morning just by saying, or this afternoon, evening, whatever time it is, that you are a sinner. Just by saying that simple prayer that I'm a sinner in need of rescuing. And I believe that Jesus is that Savior, that he is God. 
and I invite him into my life right now to take charge and I'll start living by faith. So we start with faith. The next thing we do is create breathing room. It says in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, that Jesus frequently withdrew to pray. Man, I was convicted of this this week. <laughs> really heavily convicted of this this week. And, and specifically, like, I've done a pretty good job of creating breathing room, but it's what I'm doing with the breathing room now. And, and maybe you don't know what I mean by breathing room. What I mean is, like, when, when we, our margins are stretched so thin that we have no time to do anything, we, we can't, we get in, in so upset at the person at the grocery store who pulls out a checkbook. Why are you still paying with a checkbook? Seriously, how, how are you paying with a checkbook in 2022? That is unbelievable, right? That's, that's the response. We, we start responding out of like, oh man, the, if the, the, the moment you see that person, usually an old person, take out a checkbook and start writing with a checkbook uh, to, to try to pay for something at the grocery store. It's like, how you have technology all over the place? Like, how do you not have a bank card? <laughs> that response is, is built out of not having breathing room. The person in front of you didn't make you late. You made you late. I, I, I can get upset with the person who's, who's driving really slowly, but if I had left on time, then I wouldn't have had this. If I had created breathing room, I would, have had, I would have been fine. I would have had plenty of breathing room. I would have plenty of time to get to where I need to go. And if I get there early, then I'm applauded. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I'm rejoiced all over the world because I've arrived early. Like there's nothing wrong with arriving early. But we don't create breathing room. We get upset with the person at the grocery store. We get upset with the person driving in front of us. We get upset when people are late for whatever we've got going on. We, we, we get upset when, when, when something breaks in the house or the car breaks down because we don't have breathing room. And so we're acting out of a response to them, not him, because we haven't created any breathing room to spend time with him. And for me, I, I'm good at creating the breathing room, but it's what I do with the breathing room. I'm just going to flip through my phone for a while. A while turns into an hour, and then all of a sudden, I don't have any breathing room anymore. We never take time to just be. Jesus tells us to remain in him, to remain, remain, remain. Eleven times he tells us to remain, and we continually don't remain. We get some time to remain with him and then we just sit down and we <laughs> peruse social media. Because we care more about what somebody posts than what he says. We care more about how many likes we have. And I'm just preaching to me right now, so if that's not you, whatever. But I care more about... <laughs> what my influence is with, with people on social media, then I do stop and listen for what God has to tell me. We're so distracted. I'm so distracted. I have a hard time creating breathing room. Now, maybe that's true for you too. Once we've created breathing room, here's the next thing. We, we focus higher. We focus higher. 
Joseph knew that there were greater things at hand than revenge on his brothers. Joseph's focus time and time again was, was, was higher than what was happening around him. He was focusing on his response to, to God, not to the people around him. If Joseph acted out of a response to them, he, they, he would have retaliated and they would have been gone long ago. 20 years ago, they would have been gone. But because he lived a life out of response to God, not them, he focused higher. And reconciliation was able to happen. Some of us will, will take that verse, Romans 8.28, out of context and say, my life isn't good. I don't have a fancy car. I don't have a fancy house. I don't have uh, a wife and kids. I don't have this. I don't have that. We focus more on what we don't have. And then we read Romans 8.28 and say, yeah, yeah, right. For the good, good, good of, he works all things out for, for, for the good? Explain to me how that's the good. Well, if our focus is higher, our focus is on Jesus, and it's not the stuff around us. If you'll notice in that verse, it says, we know that for those who love God. So if I'm acting out of a response to him, not them, it's my love for him. And when somebody treats me poorly or I don't agree with someone on social media or the candidate I wanted didn't get elected, then I still know that all things work together for good because God can use me to point to him. Materially, it might not pan out. But spiritually, those who love God, that's what matters. And our focus is higher. Then lastly, response to him means we forgive. And it's only possible with the previous, starting with faith. Create breathing room and focus higher. And we can forgive like Jesus forgave. like Joseph did in this chapter, again, forgiving his brothers. Jesus, again, forgiving us over and over and over again. And again, it doesn't mean that we forget what we've done and what other people have done to us. That's where we set up healthy boundaries. I've talked about this before, but it doesn't mean we don't forgive them still. And it's only possible when we start with faith, create breathing room, and focus higher. We can forgive. And that's what happens when we act out of a response to him, not them. And when we start to act out of a response to him, not them, then our response brings them to him. You see what I did there? I'm kind of really proud of that one. Our response brings them to him. When we're acting out of a response to him, not them, then our response brings them to him.
third phrase in our mission statement is change from Christ to us and through us to the world. Now we just shortened it as said, just change. Transparency, community, and change. But it's change from Christ to us. And then through us, out of a response to him, not them, through us to the world. People are going to start looking at us different. They're going to start saying, boy, I was so mean to you, but you didn't respond to me in a way that I, that I was expecting. You responded like there's something different about you. Why are you not so stressed out? Why are you so calm? Why do you have so much peace right now? What is different about you? This all, all of this stuff around us right now, this chaos in life, boy, it doesn't really seem to get to you. What is, what's going on with you? I got to know what is happening with you. My focus is higher. This stuff doesn't matter. I know at, in the end, all things are going to be good. Because I've trusted in the one true God and I've committed to his son, Jesus Christ, because of what he's done for me on the cross. By the power of his Holy Spirit, I'm going to forgive, I'm going to create breathing room, and I'm going to focus higher. And then people notice. And then when we leave... People say, man, by faith, Brian did something. We're going to really miss Brian when he's gone. We're going to really miss this, this person when they're gone. Perhaps they've moved away, but boy, I'm really going to miss that person, what they were in my life. So what's your response right now? Are you responding to him or them? Do people see you and are they impressed with your faith? Or are you just another person that's screaming at the world? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the love that you've given to us, God, that we can act out of response to you and not the things around us. I pray for your church. I pray that, God, we as a people would focus on you. God, I pray that I would do something with the breathing room in my life that brings me closer to you and by extension brings others closer to you. It's in your name, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.